so of course, now that you're seeing more of this populist um, energy, whether it be through the Bernie Sanders movement, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Justice Democrats, Democratic Socialists of America, you name it. Oh, the old guard, the Democratic establishment, they are not, not happy. And I generally don't keep up on uh, what former Senator Harry Reid is saying, but I found this interesting that Harry Reid, you know, we know Hillary Clinton is uh, now a retired, hopefully she stays retired, uh, progressive who gets things done, of course. But Harry Reid, who was the Senate Majority Leader uh, for quite some time, uh, was a real power broker in Nevada politics, uh, was very, very good at keeping crumbs coming to you, the proletariat. Harry Reid, uh, in all seriousness, I think he's been struggling with cancer and all that, so we definitely wish him we wish him well on, on that front. But Harry Reid, uh, after a poll came out that showed 59%, 59% of Americans want to raise taxes as high as 70% on the super wealthy. Oh, Harry Reid, he don't like it. Former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid took a shot at Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's proposal for a 70% marginal tax rate on the rich, saying Democrats should avoid trying to push, quote, radical change on the American voters. Who are these American voters that don't want radical change, Harry? Ocasio-Cortez, a Democratic Socialist from New York, recently suggested that America's wealthy should pay, quote, their fair share, a 70% marginal tax rate, in order to pay for her sweeping economic and energy reform plan called the Green New Deal. And if we're keeping it real, uh, no offense to new Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but she didn't exactly invent the Green New Deal. I think that's getting lost in the conversation. The Green New Deal is actually from the Green Party. And actually, I was educated. It wasn't even the Green Party. It was actually some socialist group that came up with the Green New Deal. So she definitely deserves credit for getting it onto the national scene. But let's not pretend the Green New Deal was like hatched, you know, from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, the Green New Deal originally came from the Green Party. But I digress. So... Harry Reid, in his retirement, he's not happy. Mr. Reid said voters won't go for it. Quote, a person could say we need to raise taxes a little bit, the Democrat told the Nevada Independent in an interview published Sunday. Again, when you talk about 70% and all that, we have to be careful because the American people are very conservative in that sense of not wanting radical change quickly. It just doesn't work. Quote, I think the message has to be, we're a country that is good. That's always been good, he said, right? You know, this is kind of like Hillary Clinton. America's always been great. For who? For wealthy white people? For Wall Street bankers? For fossil fuel executives? For Silicon Valley? For Big Pharma? For real estate executives? Certainly not for black people. Definitely not brown people. Certainly not indigenous people. Certainly not the growingly disappearing middle class, Harry. Who are you talking about? And I think that we have to do is make sure we do a better job. It's interesting because, you know, Harry Reid, by, I know that he had an eye problem, and I'm not mocking the man. I know he had an eye problem. As you could see, uh, his glasses are a little blurry. I'm not mocking him. I'm just saying I know he had an eye problem. Because of his eye problem, my assumption is Harry doesn't have a newspaper to read lately uh, because uh, the, these American voters who don't want, they're very conservative. Well, apparently 59% of American voters support 
Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's radical proposal to raise the marginal tax rate to 70, the highest rate at 70%. Quote, I don't think it's surprising, said Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. What we see overall is that the vast majority of Americans know that income inequality is one of the biggest issues of our time. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez sparked a flood of hysterical and error-filled responses from the right when she suggested in a recent 60 Minutes interview that America's top marginal tax rate should be hiked to 70% to help pay for bold progressive programs. But a survey published on Tuesday found that the majority of Americans are on the freshman congresswoman's side. Conducted by The Hill in partnership with the market research firm Harris X, the poll found that 59% of the U.S. public supports raising the marginal tax rate on the richest Americans to 70%. The poll also found, quote, a surprising amount of support for the proposal among Republicans, with 45% backing the idea along with 71% of Democrats. Wait a minute. Hold the phone. 45% of Republicans supported a marginal tax rate cap, the highest rate to be moved to 70%. But wait a minute. I thought I thought Harry Reid said, again, when you talk about 70% and all that, we have to be careful because the American people are very conservative in the sense of not wanting radical change quickly. But you know, do you know who I think isn't ready for that radical change? You know, I think it's interesting. Who is Harry Reid talking about? But you know who I think Harry Reid is talking about that are, are fairly conservative and, and don't want this quote unquote radical change? I don't think he's actually talking about the American voters. You know who I think he's talking about? I think he's talking about his donors. Harry Reid, 1989 to 2018, top donors, $6 from lawyers and law firms. And as I always tell you folks, this category is not lawyers representing the ACLU or, you know, environmentalists or people without money. These are the who's, these are corporate lawyers. They work in finance. They work for lobbyists. They work in D.C. These are the oligarchies attorneys, law firms that fund big, big Democrats and Republicans. Got six million from them. He's in Nevada, so obviously he was bought off by the uh, gambling industry at almost $2 million uh, in his career. Soon to be, uh, third is Wall Street. Wall Street loved them some dirty Harry Reid. 1.8, and we'll round it to $1.9 million. Lobbyists, uh, always friends of uh, progress and change in America. 1.8 million, 1.7 from the real estate industry. Harry Reid uh, received in his time of quote-unquote public service. And then we have uh, health professionals, you know, those those those, uh, those low-paid health professionals. That would be the health industry, health insurance, uh, medical device, that kind of thing, uh, business services, whatever that means, uh, one, one, almost 1.1 million insurance. So you get the point of who Harry Reid was working for. Uh, what is that? Almost 20-year career. Uh, he retired, I believe, uh, in 2016. So, you know, sorry, Harry. But what I think is really, really interesting here, and we talk a lot on this channel uh, about Bernie Sanders and how he scares the living daylight out of the establishment. But now you see not only current lawmakers, you know, we re I reported to you on Sunday, the whole Democratic Party is ticked off at Ocasio-Cortez. They're, 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 you know, crying in their sleep. They're, they're shaking in their boots because she's 
getting traction all over the place. I mean, frankly, if the woman goes to the bathroom, it's national news. Uh, and that's a great thing because she's saying the right things. Uh, you know, don't get me wrong. We don't care to know about the bathroom, but you get my point. However, they're scared. So not only is the current Congress uh, and the Democratic Party establishment from Nancy Pelosi, Emmanuel Cleaver told her to sit down, you know, learn your job. Uh, a lot of the Democratic establishment is telling her to sit down and learn your job. But now you have, you know, they're, they're pulling out the retirees from the Canasta games and the senior citizen homes to say, hey, 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 now, this isn't how change happens. You know, listen to Harry Reid and Hillary Clinton and all these retirees. We know how change happens in America because we brought you so much change, like the repeal of Glass-Steagall, per se, like the crime bill that uh, ushered in mass incarceration, like welfare reform, like deregulating the banks, like the Iraq War, like the Patriot Act. Oh, I could go on and on and on and on. This is the change we need. Uh, brought to you by Harry Reid. And don't get me wrong. I mean, it's not like Republicans are innocent angels. Republicans are just as bad, if not worse, in most areas. But this is the Democratic Party. Why should we give a flying fuck? Excuse my French. Why should we give a flying fuck what Harry Reid thinks? But I have to cover it. You might say, well, who cares what Harry Reid thinks? Because this shows the power of the progressive moment we're in. I know we all want results right now. But you also have to look for everyday, like, silent and not-so-silent victories. And when you have Harry Reid coming out of the uh, the woodwork, when you have Alan Greenspan, that dinosaur, husband of An uh, Andrea Mitchell, by the way, when you have Harry Reid, Andrea Mitchell, uh, others have come out against Ocasio-Cortez's, you know, Green New Deal, her 70%, which, by the way, none of these articles, because they're all kind of there for propaganda— None of them actually explained what she's specifically talking about. Ocasio-Cortez is not talking about taxing all of the income of the super rich at 70%. She's talking about taxing every dollar above 10 million at 70%. But they don't like to get into the details because that would be less scary. So Fox News, of course, is saying, oh, they're going to take all of it at 70%. Sean Hannity's hysterical. You know, he's crying that, you know, his money could be taken at, at 70%. Uh, frankly, I don't even think Rachel Maddow would like that very much, that progressive darling. Uh, but they're all very, very worried because the truth is, contrary to what your neoliberal auntie told you or your Republican uncle, and of course, you know, it goes both ways. You could have a neoliberal uncle. You get the drill. But contrary to what they told you, the country's not center-right. It's not conservative. It's actually progressive. And what we're learning through the Occupy movement, what we're learning through the Bernie movement, what we're learning through, uh, you know, Ocasio-Cortez's and all these mini movements, Fight for 15, Green New Deal, um, Black Lives Matter, uh, No Dapple, a lot of actual gasp traditionally more Republican people, they're actually for progressive policies. Do I have to remind you? Do I have to remind you, folks? This po this great tweet, courtesy of Warren Gunnels, who is a senior advisor to Bernie Sanders, 70% of the country want Medicare for all. Within that, 52% of Republicans want Medicare for all. 60% free, free public college tuition. They want it. This isn't all Democrats. This is the entirety. Democrats, Republicans, aliens, they all want 
want free public college. 58% want $15 minimum wage, which by the way, Bernie Sanders uh, just just uh, produced that bill out of the Senate today. Uh, 72%, 72% want to expand Social Security. 57% break up the big banks. 64% legalize the weed. 65% jobs guarantee. And I will add to this, 81% want a Green New Deal, and the new poll that shows 59% want taxes, the highest uh, marginal tax rate, to go up to 70%. So that's not a conservative country, folks. That's not exactly a country screaming, oh my gosh, it's too radical. This is too much. We must, you know, close our inhibitions. We must bow to these holy job creators. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. The majority of this country, from the east to the west, Rust Belt, the south, from the water to the farms, they want rich people to pay more. They actually want to end all of these fucking nonstop, never-ending wars. And they want, they want a progressive tax system. And by the way, let's just call it what it is. When the majority of the country wants certain policies... And the public figures, the public servants that they elected won't give it to them. What do you call that? You call that a kidnapping. You call that a heist. You call that a theft. You call that a hijacking of our democracy. Because we're not being represented. If we were being represented, here's how representation works. The people that you represent, they want this. They want X. And you, the representative, you come to them and you give them that. Of course, sometimes politicians might differ with their constituents, but we don't actually have a democracy. We don't have a rep- uh, even a republic because the majority, the mass majority, want progressive policies. However, we're constantly told by the oligarchy that has hijacked our government, bought off by Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Northam Grunthrop. Did I say it right? Whatever. Uh, and Raytheon, and Goldman Sachs, and Exxon, and I could go on and on, we're told, hey, slow your roll. Change happens in little, little, little crumb bites, you know? Little, little, little crumbs. Sometimes you could dip it in olive oil, but change happens in crumbs. And, you know, the country's not ready for the radical change you're espousing. Harry, I'm sorry to tell you, Harry. I'm very sorry to tell you, but it's over for you, Harry. And it's almost over for the Democratic Party because the people are wising up to this. The people are wising up. And, you know, it's always interesting because the Harry Reeds of the world. And of course, if, if CNN brought this up, you think CNN is going to be like, well, Harry, actually, you know, what you're saying doesn't really make sense because a new poll shows 59 percent of Americans actually support Ocasio-Cortez. How many times have you seen on CNN lately or the New York Times or any of these, you know, papers of record or the worldwide leader in news? uh, Do you really see these progressive polls shown to you often? Do you see large, do you see polls that show progressive policies are overwhelmingly backed by the majority? No, you see polls, you see polls that show you Joe Biden is leading the pack. You you, You see Daily Coast straw polls, that progressive website showing you Bernie Sanders is in the last pace. He shouldn't even run. Chuck Todd actually represented the Daily Coast poll as a progressive poll. 
just so you know what we're dealing with, because you're not just dealing with Harry Reid and the old guard Democratic Party. You're not just dealing with the current Democratic Party, which, I mean, they're hysterical. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, shut your mouth, get in the back, and stop making noise. Stop threatening to primary, uh, you know, Democrats. You should be going after the Republicans, not your own. This is what they're saying. Bernie Sanders, stop existing, damn it. Not only do you have that, not only do you have that, but the great uh, Katie Halper, uh, who uh, always is finding fun stuff, uh, Katie Halper found this gem uh, on the Twitter. So if you're unfamiliar, there is a uh, woman named Sally Albright. She's a Democratic Party uh, operative. She actually has worked with Republicans too, but in this backward society we live in, she's, you know, dubbed uh, by many as, you know, progressive. So Katie Halper found uh, Sally Albright, who basically runs a network of bots who exist to take on Bernie Sanders, Nina Turner, Tulsi Gabbard, and all these people. Uh, Katie Halper uh, collected some of her tweets recently. So here's Katie. Sally Albright gets paid to run a bot network. I hope she shares some of the money with the people she's outsourcing this work to help spread smears. It's pathetic that she can't even do her own job, but cool to trace their manufactured narratives. So let's take a look at some of that manufactured narrative. Uh, crowdsourcing some research today. Oh, research. I'm looking things up, but if anyone has articles or threads on these topics, I'd be most appreciative. Video of Bernie telling Jane not to stand next to him, because obviously that's been long rumored. Hey, Jane, go stand in New Hampshire. Don't stand next to me here in Vermont. Uh, video of uh, Bernie on Ortega Castro. Anything about palling around with dictators. Yeah, you know, palling around with dictators like Obama with the crown prince, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, uh, the king of Jordan. Uh, you know, we don't like palling around with dictators. Uh, Fidel Castro uh, has always been the American boogeyman. So that, that was one of them. Let's see. There's more. Uh, why Medicare for all isn't actually single payer. That, that's interesting. Uh, Bernie insulting black people. Okay, so we're really looking for the highest, highest, uh, most prestigious information here. Uh, Bernie mathematically eliminated from the primary. I didn't realize you could actually be mathematically eliminated before any votes are taken, any elections are held, and the superdelegates have actually been diminished, we think. Uh, you know, we'll have to look into that further because I don't quite buy it yet. But apparently there's a uh, there's a way that Bernie Sanders has already been mathematically il eliminated before even announcing he's run uh, for his, his run for president. She also uh, wants video of Bernie snatching the microphone out of Congresswoman Etsy's hand at March for Our Lives. Uh, she wants video of the Parkland kids rejecting uh, Bernie. And uh, lastly, she wants convention shenanigans, especially the flyer for the meeting about not voting for Democrats, and she wants which primaries Bernie meddled in. So so Katie Halper, actually, I mean, this is how, uh, essentially, this is kind of, I don't know if it's exactly correct, the record, but this is kind of like their meetings that are supposed to be hidden out in the public. I don't know why she's putting all this out there in public, but this is how propaganda works. And let me explain more about this but the interesting thing about this is let me show you. So people like Sally Albright, they start the propaganda on Twitter. Then they get a network of bots to push this nonsense. Then 
it, get, it gets picked up by Democratic Party lawmakers who push this stuff. Like, when did Bernie push a black person? I remember, I remember um, Bernie actually, when Black Lives Matter activists interrupted one of his speeches, Bernie actually moved in the back and gave them the microphone. As opposed to Hillary Clinton, who you remember at her private fundraiser with some rich people, oh, her security couldn't get that black woman out quick enough who uh, wanted to protest. So this kind of propaganda starts on Twitter. Then Democratic Party politicians pick it up. Then Politico, NBC News pick it up. And before you know it, it's fact uh, of these bullshit about Bernie. And it doesn't just work for Bernie. It works against Nina Turner. Tulsa Gabbard, Elizabeth Warren, you you name it. It's worked against Jimmy Dore, me. This is how, like, the Jimmy Dores of the world in a CNN article are called, like, you know, the alt-left or whatever they called him. It's ridiculous. Speaking of good reporting, uh, The Intercept actually just did a really great piece. I've asked the author to come on this Sunday, so we'll see if he's available. But The Intercept uh, found that, you know, the, the, great, the great white hope, Better O'Rourke, Ooh, apparently Beto O'Rourke back in his uh, city council days wasn't a friend, wasn't a friend of collective bargaining uh, for public sector unions. And this article is going to put me in the very, very awkward position of defending a police union. But in this case, I, I, I think Beto O'Rourke was completely wrong. Years before he was a potential 2020 candidate, Beto O'Rourke was a city council member in El Paso and a leading voice in a high-profile battle with unions representing police and firefighters. At the height of the conflict, O'Rourke publicly mused about disbanding the police union, calling it out of control and lamenting his colleagues' unwillingness to stand up to the powerful political force. A year later, he was calling for, quote, better checks on collective bargaining in the public sector. The fight came at one of the bleakest moments of the Great Recession, and the city was stuck in contracts with the police and firefighters union that provided for annual raises and benefits. The city manager was proposing a 5% property tax increase and other hikes in fees to pay for them, but the city council wanted the unions to defer some of the wage increases and forfeit some of the holidays. The firemen and policemen's pension fund was in need of more money, which meant that they were open to negotiations. But O'Rourke, was frustrated at how dug in he said they were. Police unions have increasingly found themselves in conflict with progressive Democrats in cities across the country and are notorious for defending even the worst officers on the force against charges of assault or murder. Uh, no better example or worse example than the Chicago Police Union, who actually defended uh, Officer Jason Van Dyke, who shot a uh, 16, how old was he? A 17-year-old uh, black man, Laquan McDonald, 16 times and then tried to cover it up, courtesy of Mayor Rahm Emanuel, who is leaving office soon. Uh, Chris Evans, O'Rourke's spokesperson, said that when he relayed the Intercept's inquiry to O'Rourke, O'Rourke's first memory of the fight was that police were demanding a provision that would give officers a 48-hour window after a police shooting before they would have to answer an investigator's questions. That provision is indeed in the contract, O'Rourke's remarks at the time, however, were focused on officer compensation and El Paso's stripped budget. O'Rourke, in public, took particular exception to some of the demands for the police union in the ongoing negotiations, including its continued insistence on maintaining the wage increase, which he said amounted to 8% each year. In an August 3, 2010 meeting, a seemingly exasperated, oh, I keep getting this wrong, exacerbated O'Rourke, went so far as to ask the city's attorney if there was a way to eliminate the union altogether. In my opinion, 
This is from O'Rourke. In my opinion, the basic problem with this whole setup is you've got a very powerful police union and that's been able to extract an unsustainable increase in salaries year over year and an unsustainable series of additional benefits, he said, following exchange over the city manager's proposal to create a second police academy. Quote, what are the provisions or opportunities for the voters of El Paso to go back to some other form of representation for the police officers, a.k.a. How do we get rid of the police union? Now, as I'm sure Ty, uh, who's in the live chat, would tell you, I'm not, you know, such a big booster of, of police power in this country. I think the police, frankly, have become a terrorist syndicate uh, throughout the country. However, I'm a very big advocate of public sector unions. Uh, there is a reason that unions, whether the police unions, the firefighter unions, the teachers unions, uh, you name it. There's freelancer unions. There's a whole lot of unions. And especially for public sector workers, getting contracts that give you uh, per, per year uh, percentage raises, per year uh, in, you know benefits uh, improvements, uh, pension improvements is necessary because without those safeguards, the oligarchy and the elected public servants, oh, excuse me, the nurses unions too. Thank you, Victoria. They will basically sell you down the river quicker than you could swim. So having contracts in place that have a guaranteed uh, yearly annual increase, uh, benefit, uh, benefit changes for improvement is important. So it's very concerning that, you know, the next, uh, you know, to me, Barack Obama 2.0 is how, is how they're billing better O'Rourke, you know, a, a blank slate. Uh, it's kind of alarming that he basically, because in fairness, cities all across this country and, you know, local mun municipalities were hit hard after the 2008 financial crash, which, by the way, Barack Obama uh, didn't jail one banker, Ty's uh, favorite person, Black Jesus. Um, a lot of cities had to find money somewhere because a lot of cities were heavily, heavily invested in pension funds. And a lot of those pension funds went belly up during the financial crash because Wall Street went belly up during the financial crush, crash. And Wall Street is heavily, heavily invested in pension funds. And cities, Detroit, for example, was heavily invested in pension funds, and Detroit lost hundreds of millions of dollars uh, during the global financial crash. So on one end, it's fair. You have to find, you know, you got to tighten your belt somewhere. But for a supposed progressive, for for a supposed progressive to basically be saying, well, these this police union's out of control, their demands, so let's just get rid of them. That's pretty alarming. You're not going to hear that from the Beto bros. You're not going to hear that from the Beto Boosters. You're not going to hear that from the Beto Bees. But I'm not pro-police, but I'm anti-trying to erase unions, especially public sector unions, because you don't like their demands. That's not a progressive position, if you know what I'm saying. So let's read a little bit more. And great work, by the way, by Walker Bragman. He, he found this uh, for The Intercept. So... O'Rourke in public took particular exception to some of the demands for the police union in the ongoing negotiations, including its continued insistence on maintaining the wage increases, which he said amounted to 8% each year. I find that very hard to believe. There's very few uh, public sector workers that get an 8% increase each year, but I haven't looked into it close enough. In an August 3rd, 2010 meeting, a seemingly exacerbated O'Rourke went so far as to ask the city's attorney if there was a way to eliminate the union altogether. 
I'm having uh, early onset dementia because I already read that to you. Here we go. The attorney said there was not a way, and following the meeting, O'Rourke called the police union out of control and questioned, quote, the need and wisdom of having it in the city at all. The police union, angry at demands from the city council that the police be furloughed, meaning their pay basically be delayed, responded by running an ad against O'Rourke and the city council. The battle with the unions is another window into the former congressperson's enigmatic politics. O'Rourke was a member of the centrist New Democratic Coalition while in Congress. Uh, I got to disagree with the intercept there. The New Democratic Council, ain't, it's not centrist. It's right wing. So this is basically just a continuation and an offshoot of the Democratic Leadership Council brought to you by Bill and Hillary Clinton uh, and funded, by the way, by the Koch brothers. Beto was on the Democratic Leadership Council, and he's talked, which is right wing. It ain't centrist. So here's a video. Here's a video uh, of Beto O'Rourke and his not so progressive talks when he was a city councilman. I'll tell you, though, that there is a difference when you have collective bargaining in the public sector. City council that I served on made a decision to bail out the police fire pension fund to the tune of $200 million. And it's true that the police and fire unions made some concessions on their end. But the taxpayer, uh, all of us are on the line for that $200 million to meet our obligation uh, to those members. I was deeply disappointed in the, uh, especially the police unions intransigence when we were in tough budget straits because we were in the depth of a national recession that was affecting El Paso. We didn't want to lay anybody off and the police union had negotiated a contract for themselves that the city council, minus my vote and minus Steve Ortega's vote, had agreed to that gave them guaranteed raises, merit raises, uh, and step increases, and a very rich benefits program, while everyday El Pasoans that I represent and pay taxes and pay their salaries were going broke and were going without jobs. I thought that was unfair. And so, uh, in that context, uh, I felt like, and frankly, I still have some problems with the power that the uh, police and fire uh, collective bargaining uh, negotiate uh, contracts have. But I want to reiterate because it's an important issue. I believe in the right to organize. I think it's done wonderful things for this country. I do think there need to be better checks on collective bargaining in the public sector. I don't, by any stretch, want to do what Wisconsin's done, but I do want to make sure that the El Paso taxpayer is protected, and that's what I was trying to do. Okay. So, if you were blindfolded, if you were blindfolded listening to that, uh, you could have, you know, you might actually confuse him for Mitt Romney there. Now, again, I want to be very clear. This isn't about the police union, because I think the police are out of control pretty much all over the United States of America, which, by the way, is not a country. It's a corporation, as you always know I say. This is the United Corporations of America. So this isn't a defense of the police union. However, whether it's the police union or the firefighters union or the teachers union or whatever, why should any of these unions have to take a pay cut because the oligarchs crash the economy? Why? Why should police or firefighter or nurses or whomever take a big pay cut because bankers crash the economy by breaking the law? Why shouldn't they pay? Why should uh, you know police or firefighters or nurses or whomever have to pay more 
have to pay more into their pensions or for their health care because other people wreck the economy. Don't get me wrong. It's all about, uh, you know, public, we, we, you know, the public coming together in times of trouble. But how come there's never any discussion? Hey, maybe we should cut the military budget, you know, to offset the cost. Or maybe we should, you know, raise taxes on the wealthy. It's always those public unions. They really, they're a pain in the ass, those unions. Not, you know, the Defense Department asking for $715 billion to go uh, do military adventurism and kill innocent uh, brown people all over the world. So in this case, I, I don't know the police union in El Paso. They might very well have ridiculous demands. But I don't think public sector unions should have to uh, lower their wages or give up an inch. Because you want to know something? If you give them an inch, they're going to take the whole damn field from you. That's how this works. Make no mistake about it. And when Better O'Rourke, uh, by the way, he went on, he said in a Q&A, I'm a big believer. I'm a big believer in labor, right, labor rights to collectively bargain in the private sector. The public sector is a completely different situation. From my experience, these last six years on city council, I do not think it is in the community's best interest, certainly not in the taxpayer's best interest, to have collective collective bargaining by the police and firefighters. They are exceptional public servants. However, they are not so exceptional that they get to have these contracts and rights that no other city employee enjoy and which the taxpayer cannot continue to finance without the city going broke. Well, I think what Mr. O'Rourke is getting a little twisted here, uh, these police people, these firefighters, they are taxpayers. They are in your community. So they're not like some foreign entity. Uh, of course, they shouldn't have, you know, 50% pay increases every year. But, you know, it, it's the city council. It's the government that's negotiating with these councils. So if you negotiated a bad deal, if you negotiated a deal that gave them favorable wage increases or gave them favorable benefits or gave them favorable whatever, uh, why is it exactly that when the economy goes belly up, they should be the ones to sacrifice? Are you cutting your salary then, Councilman Better O'Rourke? I don't think so. So uh, Better O'Rourke, you know, between the the fundraisers with fossil fuel lobbyists, between, you know, dozens of, do uh, dozens of donations from fossil fuel executives, between voting to deregulate Wall Street, between voting for, to offshore drill, between voting to lift the cap on uh, exporting oil, he's got some explaining to do if he wants to claim he's a progressive. Because he's not exactly like a capital P Bernie Sanders type progressive. He's more of a, you know, Barack Obama, let's give vague promises and not deliver anything actually progressive type of progressive. Uh, and we don't need any more of those. Here is Kirsten Gillibrand running for president. I think it's important for people to know my values are never for sale. And that's why I banned corporate uh, pack checks. It's why I'm not taking money from federal lobbyists. And it's why I don't think individuals should have super PACs. Senator, you said, sorry, I just, I just want to follow up on what this gentleman was saying about Wall Street. Yeah. Um, you, you said that you're running against corruption and yeah. social interests, and that, you, that your positions yeah. can't be bought. But if that's the case, yeah. social interests, and that, you, that your positions yeah. can't be bought. But if that's the case, how do you reconcile? going to Wall Street to make yeah. sure they're okay with the run. As reported... Well, that's certainly not the case. That is not true. But you just have to look at the facts. Um, I voted against the bailout twice. Uh, 
I uh, am a co-sponsor uh, of two co-sponsors for a bill to do a transaction tax. Um, I believe that a Glass-Steagall makes sense, a, a new Glass-Steagall, and I am on a bill to support that. I supported Dodd-Frank. I mean, just look at the facts. Look at my record. I always speak for for what's right, regardless of who might be angry or disappointed or not agree. So, is that true? Is, is Kirsten Gillibrand hoarding in money from Wall Street but still voting against Wall Street? So, as I've already reported, <laughs> as I've already reported, Kirsten Gillibrand, mm-hmm. who has taken, other than Chuck Schumer, the most money from Wall Street in the Senate— uh, Kirsten Gillibrand voted against breaking up the big banks. Kirsten yeah. Gillibrand also voted to deregulate the big banks. She might have right. voted against uh, the bailout, which like wasn't exactly politically courageous to do, in my opinion. But when when she had an opportunity, Sherrod Brown, Sherrod Brown uh, brought forth uh, a bill to basically break up the big banks along with Bernie Sanders. Kirsten Gillibrand, no, no, no. Well, why would she do that? Because maybe in 2010, when she voted against breaking up the big banks, she took, she was the number two uh, as far as taking money from Wall Street in the first three months of 2010 before that bill came up. She also might take not take corporate PAC money all of a sudden, but she certainly right. takes money all from executives at Wall Street firms. And contrary to what she is saying, uh, CNBC, Politico, and other places have reported that Kirsten Gillibrand, uh, along with Cory Booker, along with Kamala Harris, has been dialing for dollars uh, uh, at Wall Street, uh, basically getting their permission to run uh, for president and seeing if Wall Street would back them. That doesn't sound super progressive to me. Not progressive, no. What are your thoughts on a Kirsten Gillibrand presidential run? Am I being sexist? It's just a waste of everyone's time. She, no, she doesn't have it. She doesn't in any way, shape, or form. You know, her, her policies are, are weak. And she's her. Like, there's nothing There's nothing there. She's not going to make it far. No there there? There's no there there. I mean, I don't... This isn't because she's Kirsten Gillibrand or a woman, but I think she's full of shit. Uh, follow the money. Always follow the money. Her donor sheet is Wall Street, Wall Street, Wall Street. Real estate, real estate, big pharma, big pharma. She has been calling Wall Street executives because that is what multiple outlets are reporting on top of Kamala Harris, who, by the way, didn't deny that she was calling Wall Street executives and Cory Booker, who hasn't denied that he's been calling Wall Street executives. So when you look at forget that, forget whether she's progressive or not, you have to look at these people running and, and ask yourself, what do they think they bring to the table that's different than anyone else? Because everything that she's signing on to and, you know, talking about that she's signing on to, like Medicare for all and, you know, not taking corporate PAC money and uh, banning off lobbyists. Well, you're a little late to the party, Miss Gillibrand, just like you're a little late to the party, Mr. Booker, just like you're late to the party, Better O'Rourke. I don't want somebody who came to the party, you know, 10 years too late. I want the person who showed up at the dance, stood on the stood on the side, and did the right thing when everybody else was doing the wrong thing. Is there a person who's done that? Bernard Sanders. Bernard Sanders. So I don't want you Johnny-come-lately progressives, okay? It's not because you're bad people. It's not because I, you know, wish you death. But I don't trust you to do the right thing if elected because the people who are going to follow through on what they claim are the people that 
propose progressive policies and swear off the corporate money when it's courageous to do so, not when it's convenient to do so. I'm talking to you, Beto. I'm talking to you, Cory Booker. I'm talking to you, Kirsten Gillibrand. I'm talking to you, Kamala. Kamala? Kamala? Uh, I think it's Kamala. Kamala Harris and Joe Biden is all of a sudden a Johnny-come-lately progressive. Joe Biden. 